0: Ours is a band whose major label debut came out back in 2001 and more than 20 years after the fact, the album still connects, resonates, matters with the band's fans. Just last year, Ours released what is their sixth album. It's self-titled Ours, and the band's currently on the road supporting it. In fact, they will be in Milwaukee on Monday the 11th at Shank Hall and then back here in Chicago on Thursday the 14th. And this is no mere hours concert. They're playing their entire debut album, start to finish, Distorted Lullabies. It's an album play. I love album plays. That's happening at Beat Kitchen on Thursday the 14th. Now, the songs are always there with hours, but it's hard to deny the strength of singer Jimmy Neko. He's a multi-instrumentalist. He's a songwriter. But he also has, by my estimation, one of the best voices in rock, Period. And he's my guest tonight on Carcon Carne.
1: It's Carcon Carne. Let's eat in the car. It's Carcon Carne. And now here's the star of our show, James Van
0: So, okay, Monday the 11th, Milwaukee, Shank Hall, the place. Then in Chicago, you Jimmy Necco of ours, returning to Beat Kitchen, to Chicago at Beat Kitchen for an album play. You're doing Distorted Lullabies in its entirety. I'm a music nerd. I love album plays.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, and it's a lost. It's you know, it's it's kind of a lost art at this point. So, um, yeah. Anytime anybody really puts an effort into making an album from beginning to end, to, to me, it's pretty exciting at this point. You know.
0: That album has endured so much. I don't want to embarrass you, and I'm not trying to embarrass you. I posted recently that you're coming to Beat Kitchen and you're doing this album play, and that we were going to talk. And I just want to read you some of the comments about ours and that album in particular that I saw over the past 24 hours. Okay. Uh, Kimberly, great album. I try to see him every time he's in town. He has an incredible voice. One of my favorites. Sean, that record is awesome. I want to go. Uh, Ian, OMG, I love this song. It's been a minute. Uh, Mike said, cannot wait. Will be my fourth time. Jeff, great album. I'll be at the show. Mike said, love that album. Jimmy Necco snuck me in the side door of Shuba's 20 plus years ago for hours. Pete Yorn, which that was the first time I saw you. Was that the first time you played Chicago? That was like 2001, right? Um,
1: Yes, it wasn't the first time we played. We had been through there before um, with, uh, I think, Ocean Color Scene. Or Powderfinger as well, I think. Yeah, we did two runs before the Pete Yorn one. One was Ocean Color Scene, and the other was um, with an Austra- Australian band called Powderfinger. Yeah, I I, it, And it may have been may have been Powderfinger at the Double Door.
0: That sounds right. Powderfinger, I think the only band I'm aware of that took its name from a Neil Young song. Yes. If I'm not mistaken. Yes. But I, I remember that Shuba's show, it was like summer of 2001, it was you, it was Pete Yorn, and I watched both fans, I'm like, holy shit, I'm like, this is the right place at the right time. I mean, two ascendant stars in that tiny little space. That, do you have memories of going out on the road for that tour? Of-
1: oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, you know, we we loved Pete's music, um, but we weren't sure that it was going to be a good tour because we just, we weren't sure that we were paired up well, but um you know, I think, I guess the, the folks at MTV kind of convinced me um, to do it, that it would be a cool Jersey thing. Um, I was worried that we would be a little too intense for his audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and f- for some of them we were, but it was a pretty good pairing overall. We, we, we picked up a lot of friends uh, along the way on that tour. So I have, as much as I was kind of kicking and screaming through it, um, to myself, feeling like, um, you know, I wasn't sure if we were supposed to be doing that tour. The, at the end of it all, it ended up being a really positive thing. And Pete was great to us the whole time. So, um, yeah, looking back on it, really um, fond memories. Yeah.
0: And you're, I, I'm, I'm not crazy. You have a relationship with the city of Chicago.
1: Like, Absolutely. We, we,
0: we have our hooks in you.
1: We, we all... Um, really fell in love with Chicago, kind of our, our first time through. And now I have a lot of friends there. And we would we'd come through a lot and stay in Evanston. We had a, a friend that had a, a big home there. And he would um, welcome us in and we'd stay for, you know, weeks at a time. And, um, yeah, we really love the city. It's like it reminds us a lot of New York in certain ways. And um, the people were just really kind to us Mm -hmm. so we we fell in love with the 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 chicago music exchange um music store fell in love with that so it's yeah it's just it's been something about you know there's there's definitely a it's one of our favorite places in the country
0: well and you said it we're very nice people as long as you're not driving at the same time as some (laughs) of us We're, we're a very friendly city to be in for sure and I one of the more recent times I saw you, it was a few years ago. Um, it was the benefit for Jerry Bryant at oh, yeah. Metro. It was the yes. strange 90s. Everyone got on stage, did covers from the 1990s. You just with balls of steel went on stage and you covered Paranoid Android by Radiohead and you completely nailed it. Like That, that's, that's, that seems like a hands-off cover for people, but you went on stage and you own that song. And it, I still have chills remembering that. I thought, he he's doing it and of course you had like I think you had Greg Corner playing and uh, Matt behind you like it was like a, an A-team of yeah the
1: uh, of the we had Joe George it was just a, a whole great band um, Matt put the, together the band for me, and I came in and just um, one rehearsal or so we did Paranoid Android we did um, Space, Space Hug Hulk. and then we did a Sound Garden so I thought that was a good kind of mix of um bands that i really mm-hmm. you know that i really liked from in the 90s so uh, and i was currently on on the road with royston at that time and did
0: realize that
1: yeah we were we were out doing um an acoustic tour but it's like solo acoustic tour with each of us and i canceled i was supposed to go to um to iowa that night and i canceled the show because i wanted to come and do the show Jerry and I was trying to convince Royston. I said, "Royston, we'll go back. We'll, we'll make that show up. Just come to Chicago with me, man. Come sing. You should come sing your song. You'll blow people away."
0: Uh-huh.
1: And um, but he went on to to Iowa, <laughs> uh, and I had a great time that night. But you know, the thing about the Paranoid Android song, and, you know, there are like comparisons through the years of of us and Radiohead, and um, whereas I can see it, but, but it was never a thing ever where where i was writing songs trying to copy radiohead we just mm-hmm. came up together and as singers i think of like singers you know what i mean just uh loving other singers um whether it was freddie mercury or the crooners like it's just singing so um and you know it's like melodic emotional singing and so mm-hmm. for me that song um Is like breathing, you know, it's it's, uh, not going to say it's easy, but it's like breathing because it's, it's, I'm very comfortable in that space, you know?
0: Well, that song does something that I think a lot of the great hour songs do. They really take you on a journey. They, 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 they they take some time to, to tell a story musically. Structure wise. I've
1: always loved songs with clearly two or three different sections. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I love a great pop song, but I, I always loved, songs like that you know if it was bohemian rhapsody or um you know something like aquarius or um even stairway to heaven kind of has two kind of different sections Mm -hmm. um just like classical music I, i i love stuff like that doors music where it goes from one whole thing and then within the same you know breath changes over and you're in a completely different space and it there's like a transformation that happens, and um, I was so happy to you know see Radiohead really um, take those chances on okay computer and do that, and so really fell in love with them at that point i wasn't I wasn't in before that for the first two records because we were doing our thing, and I you know I was kind of trying to stay away from it but once yeah. once they did that record, there was no you know, there was no hiding from it. They just became the greatest band in the world, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's Paranoid Android is just, it's really a trip. You know, it's like something off of Dark Side of the Moon to me,
0: you know. For sure. Well, thinking about those big, epic hour songs, I, I mentioned at, at the onset, the new album itself titled, came out last year. I, one of, I think, the bigger feeling songs, one of the more, Dramatic sounding songs on the album is Lose Control. I I think this is a song where we find you doing some of your most intense vocal calisthenics on the album. That's saying something.
1: Yeah. Oh, um, it's definitely, um, I think it it definitely feels like what I've been trying to do with hours for a long time, like realization of of some ideas, you know, the combination of the, um, like the Tom grooves and really lush. And then Mm -hmm. like like soaring, soaring vocals and, um, high emotion without necessarily specifically being hard rock or anything. It's just high intensity, you know, um, but still, um, with a lot of, um, texture and sonic, um, colors, you know, like lush. So I'm, we have a great time playing that. And I'm, I'm so happy that it's part of our catalog. Now we get to play it and and that's like the last bunch of years I spent that time building the catalog Mm -hmm. mostly for, um, for the live experience, you know?
0: I, you, you mentioned, or we talked about your music being emotional and personal. What I like about one of the things I like about ours, your music is emotional. It is personal, but it's general enough that as a listener, as a fan, I can make my own attachment with the music i don 't need to know exactly what 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 you're emoting because I make my own connections and make my own stories from the music and I think that's I almost don't want to know too much about where that's 100%.
1: going from. yes, I, I agree with you I, and I try not to I try not to say too much for that reason because the songs like, at any di- different time any given time they, they mean something new or different um, so yeah, I agree with you. I like to keep it pretty open for people to kind of make what they will of it without spelling it out.
0: You mentioned Dark Side of the Moon. It, there was a time pre-digital when album sequencing was it was an art form. They, where the songs came, I, that 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 kind of journey, the the highs, the lows. When I listened to the new album, I mean, I, I think it's incredibly well sequenced. Starting from Are You Listening? This is an album opener. This is a song that has a a solid build to it. Is is sequencing still something you're aware of and focused on as you create? Oh, man.
1: Yeah. I'm happy you said that because, you know, I go through different um, feelings of wondering if I got it right because it, it took me like a year and a half to sequence it. That was the biggest thing because I feel that that is the most important part of it. Um, I mean obviously you have to have the bits you know um, like you're putting together a movie um, mm-hmm. you have to have the, the, um, the storyline and the, the, uh, the emotion and the performances but um, you know the, the meter of the whole thing and it's so important and um, 17 songs is really difficult to to, to find the ride but I had to do it in was kind of like chapters, um, really. So the the record feels like three, three kind of chapters, you know, for me. And um, yeah, it it took a long time, but finally, like getting "Are You Listening?" finished um, felt like, oh yeah, that's the that's the opener. It's kind of like the big entrance into the space, you know, Mm and you kind of like eyes kind of opening up and kind of being just thrust into a world and being
0: born you know i love it well on the other side of the album is a single i mean at the very end of the album we find echo so i you know thinking about sequencing as an art you know one of the songs you put out there and, and wanted people to pay attention to is the one that's the last thing they hear
1: yeah and that um you know we can talk about and say it was a smart mover. It's a really, um, not a smart mover. Most people who want me to, you know, through the years or rooting for us to to really succeed and do well, told me that it was a huge mistake. Like, what are you crazy? Why would you put that song last? It's the biggest thing on the record. And to me again, it's like, well, I'm thinking about a whole record. Um, when you, you know, it's it's like putting, how can you put the, even if the, the end scene of a movie is the most glorious and something like that, you, you have to get to that space. You have, mm-hmm. you know, you have to arrive there. And um, anytime I tried to put it sooner, it felt like we were creating this resolve earlier on in the record that we couldn't recover from, that we couldn't, create this resolve and then go back into a more dark contemplative space again. So it had to be more so that the, the record happened and the story happened and the, the fall, and then the, the, the build again, the rise up to Mm -hmm. some sort of um, transcendence and, um, you know, resolve. So, it it is to me. It's like kind of um, like a glorious, almost ending like a Return of the Jedi or something like the Ewok, like celebration. Yes, it is the, the most obvious single on the record. But you know, to me again, like if if you're talking about releasing singles, you can release any single, right. And at any time, and that's a song that people are going to know, whether it's second, third, or seventeen.
0: Absolutely right. Yeah, because we live in this very a la carte culture, and the single is what brings people to the album. And then when they hear it all contextually, it's a different experience altogether, which I think is that's a okay.
1: Yeah, I like it, you know, to to tell you the truth, the way it makes me feel when all is said and done. And that was going to be a very important thing that by the end of the record, um, it left people in a really joyful place. Mm -hmm. And not a place because we can very easily end the the record with like um, contemplation and, you know, just like all different kinds of thought, but it was important to me this time to, um, because I wasn't really sure if we'd ever make another record. Uh, um, So I I wanted to to basically, if it meant like this is the final hour's record, I wanted to really end in a joyful place and kind of celebrate basically everything that had happened beforehand.
0: You mentioned Led Zeppelin 4. There's a song on the album, Bring It On, which to me has a very Zeppelin feel to it. It's got John Bonham-like drums. It's got bluesy riffs. Uh, this also finds you, or the protagonist of the song, desperate, screaming for love. But this wasn't written during the pandemic. This was written before then.
1: Yeah, long before. Long before. It, um, which pretty much everything was written before, it except for the song Gold um, and pretty much Gold Gold is the only one that really came and some other songs during the pandemic but they went out onto some EPs that we released as well Um, so yeah all this was written coming off of um, a feeling of um, I don't know just kind of already recognizing a great divide Mm-hmm. in the country um before yeah, that,
0: that did exist before the pandemic to be clear
1: yeah um and so before the pandemic all, many of them written before the election as well mm-hmm. um so um but yeah bring it on was was one of the earlier ones written um that i went to do and I, I played drums on it but that was um, you playing
0: drums yeah, yeah. I, I hope the john bonham comparison landed well
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> there's no greater compliment. Uh, you know, that Ringo, um, there's no greater compliment to have, especially, um, you know, I, I, love, I love drummers. I love drumming. I love the importance of great drums on a record. Mm-hmm. And um, we've worked and worked at it for years trying to, to get that. And so coming into this record, I, I really just started to play a lot of the drums. We, we then did get a drummer um who's been with us now for a long time and he's a much i think a much better drummer than i as far as like real drummer i just have i have the ability to do it with a feel like a big fat feel on more um i think more simpler grooves or stuff you know the the more open ones i can do really well so and you know the guitar and all that too like i pretty much it became my my project like just you know getting all these guitars down and playing a lot of guitar again. And um, same thing on you are the answer. I basically just played everything on it and uh, jumped in and had a great time just jumping around from each instrument, you know,
0: as much as I like the, the big sprawling epic hour songs. I also love songs like see the light. Cause this song just, it just feels raw and just immediate to me, maybe even a little more ramshackle.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, one that was written pretty um, quickly, in the sense of not being overthought at all. I I wrote it um, real quick, and April, in the band who plays keyboard, piano, and stuff, sings with me. Um, she was in the rehearsal space with me, and I said, "Hey, do me a favor, play this groove on the drums." And I recorded it onto my onto my telephone, just real easy in the room. And she sounded so great on the drums that I said, okay, you're playing drums on it. So then she played drums on that. We both played drums technically, and she played the groove. And then I went back and played all these like Ringo type fills over it. Um, So yeah, that one, like it's a kind of a banger, but it's again, like unexpected that that she played the drums on it. We kind of do that. We jump around,
0: you know? You said just a couple minutes ago, if this is to be the last hour's album, is that, is that a thought? Is that a real thing we should be thinking about?
1: Um, it's, it's hard to say because, um, yeah, it's, it's a little difficult to say. We still, we're still sitting on one more that hasn't been released with all of these other songs that didn't fit on the album. Mm-hmm. So technically there could be even another one. But it's it's real so it's really difficult to think beyond that um, at this at this stage of the game you know um, this took so many years to to get this record because I, I kind of recorded a few at once you know um, mm-hmm. and kind of just put them out I kind of drizzled them out um, because in a way that again wouldn't be advisable as far as proper promotion and all that but I, I was just more. Been more interested in getting as much done and getting it out to the world while I can do that, um, and while I can still sing this way and all of that stuff. So I've been more, you know, just concerned about that because some of the things that come up in the in the meantime over the years, like singing with some different bands and stuff, and um, as much as I was like um, flattered by them asking me or excited about jamming with some of them. I just felt like, well, I think my, my mission here is to finish these songs that I have, because I was sitting on like 200 of them. So um, I got, I got around 80 done so far of the 200 that I was sitting on.
0: You'll, I mean, this, this is whatever becomes of ours. You will always be that artist writing, creating, Squirreling away in a room with a guitar or an instrument or a microphone, just expressing those thoughts somehow. I think so. Yeah. Regardless of whether you call it hours. I feel like it, I, I can't imagine you not doing this.
1: Yeah, I can't either. Um, so I, I hope I can I hope I can keep doing it. So
0: back in the beginning of the century, the turn of the century, you were a major label artist. Things were I mean, 20 years ago doesn't seem like that long ago, but it is a lifetime ago when you consider how different conducting yourself as a touring band, as a recording band is. What upside have you experienced not being tethered to the machine? I I mean, obviously there are financial concerns. Maybe things aren't as rosy. I don't know, but I feel like from a, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like the ability for you, the artist to connect Is greater in the present day than it ever was back in say the dreamworks days
1: yes um that part is all great you just need to tell you the truth the only thing we really need right now is just like some finances for proper um promotion of shows and Mm -hmm. um and the album you know like we make an album we we'd love to have billboards all over the country Mm um all, all over every you know major city or at least um, and I think that's just where we're lacking. What we've gained is the complete, um, complete creative control to be able to finish everything exactly how I want to. And um, I think it's like about, it's so weird, you know, it comes down to this thing that starts to get taken out of it. Like as you go, you might bec- become more successful but like the certain aspects of the meaning that get taken out of it. And I've gotten everything back to where it's, it all means something mm-hmm. to me again. And I'm doing it for those right reasons. And the people who should be taken care of are taken care of, Where sometimes when you're on the label and stuff, they, they really step on people who are important to the, to the situation and the project. Um, and they, because it's, it's not a part of their agenda to care about that person. And, that was the part that was really difficult for me to see through the years. And, and, and part of why everything took so long, because I was always protecting everybody close to me. And, um, you know, label doesn't always like that. They want you to just, they want you to show them that you're willing to do anything and doing anything means, you know, fuck your friends over or, or just leave your friends if you need to and put yourself first um, put, put your career first and, and I get that. I understand that. And that's important, but sometimes they failed to see, um, contribution and importance of some of the people that were with me. And, um, now I'm the one that sees and I know what everybody does and I can treat them accordingly. And that kind of freedom on top of the creative freedom is, is so much more rewarding, and it makes mm-hmm. makes me want to keep doing it. So, if we, if we just had, you know, a wow. you know, couple hundred thousand dollars drop from the sky for promotion on things, um, mm-hmm. you know, there would be no question. I would never, ever, ever think about a label ever. There's no, okay. there's no need for it other than like a bank. So, with that, I feel like I, you know, should just go take a loan or something rather than having. Because the moment they, they get in there, too, and they buy, they buy their opinion, basically, they're buying their vision on the way that they want you to do it. They might believe in me, but they have their, their vision and their views and, and their experience of what they think is the right way. Um, so that varied over the years, and I had a real difficult time navigating through it.
0: I mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation, people's responses to the fact that you're coming and you're playing the first album. What does it mean to you to have people who've been with you for 20 plus years to have those people who saw you the first time around on that tour that are coming back to beat kitchen on the 14th to see you play it in the modern day. It's got to feel, I I can't even imagine how that feels.
1: It's, it's pretty moving. Yeah. It's um, because, you know, the record came out in 2001 and just to let, to give you an idea, you know, cause it's come up again, like this Radiohead thing and I'll tie it and I'll explain why I'm talking about it. Um, the song sometimes came out in 2001. I wrote it in, I wrote it in like 1990, 91 <laughs> okay. before, before long before anybody, any of us knew about any Radiohead or anything like that. Yeah. Because it's a similar thing, and sometimes it goes ow, 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 as this Radiohead song called Talk Shell. It goes ow, 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 ow. And I remember sitting in the movie theater when I heard the Radiohead song going in '95 or so, going, oh my God, what am I gonna do? And um, so, um, can you hear me still? Oh, I can it's hear you okay? okay. Yeah, we're all good. Good, good. Um, yeah, got a little loud over here. Um, so for me like I signed to DreamWorks in 97 the record came out in 2001 so at that point sometimes being 10 years old and seeing people receive it and have it blow up was already phenomenal to me Mm -hmm. I was like what's happening and I didn't even know why to tell you the truth it wasn't I didn't have this feeling of um, when I did it, that I was like, "Oh, this is going to be a big song or or successful." I just I was trying to just get out what was in my head.
0: I mean, I, and- I can tell you I can tell you why I connected, Jimmy. I, I remember that time vividly. it From a pop culture perspective, as I worked in radio back then, the the music tides had shifted toward new metal and heavy stuff, and a lot of what you heard on the radio was lowest common denominator and here comes this song. I mean, with your vocals kind of soaring in and around that relentless hypnotic groove. I mean, it felt authentic. It felt real. It felt powerful. It felt, it just felt honest among everything else we were being fed at the time. It, it To me, you were the right band at the right time.
1: Hmm. Well, good. Thanks. Um, yeah. And it, it was very, was and always is very honest, you know, and, um, you know, I didn't know if it was going to translate or not. I felt like, um, I still felt like the kids singing out my emotions over this music. Like when I wrote it in the end of high school, you know? So, um, I guess, I guess that translated, but so that was moving enough. Right. And that was now 20, 21 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so if you think about it, it's 31 years ago that I wrote it. It's Crazy. Yeah. Um, so to see it still fold up and knowing, you know, where I was when I wrote it and, and all that, it's, it's pretty touching. Yeah.
0: I bet. And again, you're playing it in its entirety. They The album, uh, Distorted Lullabies, at Beat Kitchen on Thursday the 14th. That's your first album, which leads me to another question was the first album you ever bought as a music listener, as a fan, as a kid, with, with allowance money burning a hole in his pocket?
1: I think I'm pretty sure that it was um, as far as on cassette, I had 45s that I remember getting like um, I remember getting a Cool in the Gang 45. Um, I remember getting a meatloaf two out of three ain't bad mm-hmm. 45 but the first cassette that i remember buying was run dmc
0: was this raising um, hell or was this before then was
1: it was the the one with um money is the key to end oh it's like that whatever okay. uh, that was the first one i think i think it was the first run dmc record i think that's awesome um and then i was really into stuff like that for a long time more um rap and like michael jackson new edition all the motown stuff i was more into that than i was rock the rock thing didn't happen until um kind of kind of even a- after high school because all through high school i, I was feel i was much rock um so and then even with the rock i felt my voice was a little clean for rock so i always thought that i should be in more of like a depeche mode type okay. new wave new wave band because of the, the the um the low part of my voice and the, mm-hmm. how, cl- how um, more clean my voice was i didn't have a very raspy voice so i always connected to things like um you know, people are people, so why should it be? I always felt that was more my kind of thing. But as time went on, I learned how to really lean in. And it became, a, you know, I started to really um, find a, a niche for the more intensity. Uh, and when I realized that I could do that, and I saw how it, um, I would see people kind of go like that, you know, um,
0: well, and that makes, that? that makes me wonder, Jimmy. I mean, you're on a night off. You're, you're on the road right now. You do give it all when you sing. Should you be even be talking on your nights off? I mean, to a certain extent, should you be preserving your voice, or do you preserve your voice?
1: I normally, nights? I normally try to. Yes.
0: Well, um, thank, but, you, thank you for your sacrifice tonight.
1: Oh, no, I'm happy to talk to you. So, um, it's okay. But I normally, I normally take it pretty easy on days off and rest my voice.
0: All right. Well, rest your voice. Go back on the road. We're going to see you in Milwaukee on Monday, the eleventh. We're going to see you back here in Chicago, doing the first album. It's an, in its entirety. Oh my God! On yes. the fourteenth at at Beat Kitchen, I'm wearing the ceremonial garb just for the occasion. Awesome. Um, a, a pleasure talking to you. We, we love you here you in too. Chicago, Jimmy.
1: Thank you. Well, we we love you all in Chicago as well, and uh, yeah, we hope to uh, we hope we keep coming back and keep doing it.